The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the Capital Weekly Podcast. This is Capital Weekly Editor Rich Eisen, uh, joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Tim Foster. How are you doing today, Tim? I'm well, Rich. Thanks. Great, great. And of course, we have a guest with us today, uh, one of our frequent contributors, a good uh, both to the podcast and to uh, the Capital Weekly publication, Dan Moraine. How are you doing today, Dan? Everything's good. Good. Well, uh, we asked Dan to come on today because if you've been paying attention the last 24 hours, you know that uh, former Sacramento mayor and assemblyman Phil Eisenberg passed away yesterday after a very brief uh, illness. And uh, Dan was uh, gracious. I almost says that graceful. Maybe you are graceful too. But I was. I meant to say this uh, enough to to share some thoughts on Phil's time in the assembly, and of course afterward when he spent a lot of time doing a lot of philanthropic stuff. He was also at the uh, Delta Stewardship Council. So definitely one of those people here in Northern California who had a really big impact on uh, public life during his time in public life. Um, Dan, like I said, thanks for joining us. What uh, what maybe was your was your take on all of this? You know, I know it happened pretty quickly. It was very surprising that uh, to hear when it happened because it sounded like a lot of people, including yourself, said I just talked with him recently, and then then all of a sudden he was gone. So, yeah, well, yeah, I'm trying to place exactly where I bumped into him, but we bumped into one another. Um, in in sacramento and you know this was maybe a month ago maybe not even a month ago and um and of course i asked him about politics and and uh, who he liked for mayor and he 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 told me unequivocally who he liked for mayor and then uh uh and you know we talked a little bit more and and said our goodbyes um so it was it was he he uh, evidently had had a very aggressive sort of cancer and was in hospice and 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 passed pretty quickly once he was diagnosed very very sad you know phil eisenberg was when i started covering the legislature in the um, early mid 90s he was he was truly at the top of his game he was incredibly influential he he was one one of these um, legislators who didn't do glitzy bills you know, he he was he was a classic workhorse uh, legislator, not a show horse. Uh, but at the same time, he was also um, he he was the sort of guy who, if he, I mean, covering the legislature, he was one of the two or three legislators who I would seek out if I didn't understand something to get him to explain it, and 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 I would understand, you know, the politics. I would understand the policy uh, based on what he and, and a few others. I mean, there were uh, obviously Republicans who, who, who served that role as well. But, but Phil, such a smart guy, a very funny guy, you know, oh, oh, very witty, um, uh, great sense of humor. Um, anyway, just, just one of the real class acts uh, during my time covering the legislature. Well, you know, it's funny because growing up here, I, my first thought of him when I think of Phil Eisenberg is as mayor. Uh, m- more so than the legislature, because he was the mayor from the time I was uh, maybe 12 or 13 years old for until almost uh, about 20. So, and of course, I knew he was in the legislature. Uh, 
you know, very aware of his stuff later on with the Delta Stewardship Council, uh, which is where I actually probably had the most interaction with him as a reporter was later on after he actually had left the legislature. But uh, I know as mayor, he was uh, always seemed like, uh, you know, mayors in cities like this one, they don't have as much power as, you know, cities with strong mayor systems and that kind of thing. But he was certainly a guy who had a lot of universal respect as a, as a really solid leader. And nobody knew more about an issue than he did. That, that I think, was, you know, and, and wonky, I suppose, in a way, but also, as you noted, with always with a good sense of humor and the ability to, Mm -hmm. uh, to, to bring people along without boring them to death with a, with, you know, 9 million details, though he probably could if he wanted to. Uh, that's right. You know, his, one of the things you can sort you can judge a politician by is, is their staff, whether their staff truly likes them and, and respects them. And, and, um, and it was certainly the case with, with um, Eisenberg, Allison Harvey was his longtime chief of staff. Uh, I spoke with her, uh, to uh, help uh, round out the obituary that that I wrote from the the Capital Weekly published that um, it, it, one of the things she pointed out I put it in the in the in the piece but but if you look around Sacramento I think one of the things that you notice is public art well that's that's part of his legacy because he um, insisted that a that a little piece of money on development go toward public art. Um, uh, and so, you know, it's not something that I think people who have moved, who are new to the city would, would make that connection. But, but Allison did, she went way back with him. Um, I spoke to Willie Brown, who was, uh, uh, in a, in a sense, a mentor to Phil Eisenberg. Uh, Eisenberg worked for Willie Brown's law firm before Phil became a lawyer. He was, uh, uh Berkeley school of law educated lawyer so no slouch um uh, and he went on to become willie brown's chief consultant when when brown was um chair of the assembly ways and means committee and the assembly ways and means committee doesn't exist now they've broken it up uh but but then it was truly the most powerful uh committee in the legislature every bill had to go through ways and means and and one of the things um, former Speaker Brown told me was was that uh, Eisenberg was the lead consultant there, but there were uh, two other giants who were there. One was Steve Thompson, uh, and another was John Mockler. Uh, but uh, what what Brown said was that Eisenberg made a point of knowing more about the bills than the le- than than the authors of those bills knew, and he was uh, made sure that that. Brown, as chairman of that committee, knew everything there was about those bills and knew more about uh, the bills than, than the um, legislators who were bringing them before Ways and Means knew. Um, and then, of course, when, when Willie Brown became speaker, Eisenberg is elected to the assembly after being mayor in 1982. And and Eisenberg truly is, is, is one of Willie Brown's um, most trusted members um and it's not you know it's not because eisenberg was a toady <laughs> i mean eisenberg would speak his mind he would tell uh w- willie brown or anybody else what he thought and that was part of his uh, uh, value to to speaker brown he uh made a lot of friends uh, 
truly a lot of friends, including a bunch of Republicans. Uh, Kurt Pringle, who was speaker for a little while, 1996, uh, uh, sang Eisenberg's praises and and others. He, you know, he he was. Um, uh, you, you don't see too many like Phil Eisenberg go through that building. Well, and Eisenberg is, for my money, really an example of, of the problems with term limits. I mean, I think there are reasons to have term limits, but then the flip side of that is you lose people like Phil Eisenberg, who had no choice but to leave the legislature, and we lost that level of public servant. And it's not just because he was Democrat. I mean, obviously, someone on the other side that I think, like Jim Brulte is another person where I think it's really a shame he's not in the building anymore. And uh, it points to the to the issue of term limits that, you know, it's an easy thing to talk about how people, uh, you know, abuse their power or whatever. But there's a lot of people there who are really good at their job and they're good at being public servants. And unfortunately, they are they're termed out. They're gone. Well, that that's true. Um, that's true. But then again, you know, I think Eisenberg was replaced by uh, Daryl Steinberg, who certainly was no slouch as a legislator. Um, so. Uh, you know, term limits is, is, I mean, I agree with you, Tim, that, that, that as a result of term limits, a lot of really good legislators had to step aside before their time. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, but then others come in, uh, who, who also can leave their mark. So, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, I think. Well, it also, you know, to be fair, also, get some bad ones to move along. <laughs> that, know, that, that certainly is true. That certainly oh, is works. true. Well, you know, the, the, the thing, though, that I think we all think of in times like this, when, when somebody like Phil Eisenberg passes and we're all thinking about his legacy, is, you know, that this, the, the loss of that kind of civility and that kind of willingness to work with the other party. Everybody says they want it. But, but, you know, I really don't know if they do anymore because they, you know, at the end of the day, they support people... On both sides of the aisle, who are absolutely uh, unwilling to work with the other side, and so I think I think um, a lot of that comes from inside the building. When uh, you know we we made such a huge deal this year that Susan Eggman and Roger Nilo worked together on Senate Bill Forty Three, which is significant a significant update to Lanterman Petra Short, but really it shouldn't be so absolutely un unbelievable that a republican and a and a democrat can work together on a piece of major legislation a great import to society but it is and it's because there aren't people like the phil eisenbergs and the jim royalties anymore those, those those folks that that mindset has been defeated by you know the other side is evil they are bad people everything they believe in is wrong and is intended to harm the, you know the people that support me right and it's real hard to find common ground when that's your starting point yeah well i think that that that, that virus is is um running rampant uh on capitol hill uh and and certainly it it it, it has an, an uh, affected some people in sacramento it's not as bad here as it is back in dc uh as we uh saw uh unfold in this crazy crazy speaker fight yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's as bad in any state house as it is in 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 DC, and and you know that that's a whole other animal. So I, I yeah, we we're nowhere near as that. But you know, we also yeah. aren't, we don't have the collegial attitude maybe that they had <laughs> even twenty years ago. So yeah, heaven help us, may we never get as bad as uh, as Capitol Hill. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, that. that... <laughs> 
<clears throat> that would truly be tragic. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the things that that um, uh, th- this just this was a small thing that Allison Harvey told me. I thought I thought it was so interesting. There's uh, uh, the Phil in Maryland, Maryland uh, being Phil's widow and, and life partner. They were always together. Um, uh, the Phil and Marilyn Eisenberg Sand Hill Crane Reserve preserved down uh, down off I five in, in Lodi or outside Lodi, and and she told me how how the funding for that happened. Well, Phil was a new uh, legislator, new member of the assembly. He had realized he had no clout, and so he submitted a budget proposal, but he submitted it under Willie Brown's name, <laughs> and uh, and of course Willie had clout. And uh, uh, by 1982, 83, and uh, and so this, so hence we have the now it's been enlarged and renamed properly, the Phil and Marilyn Eisenberg uh, Sand Hill Crane uh, Preserve. I mean, anybody who knows Willie Brown knows that Willie Brown is not a birder. Uh, Phil and Marilyn Eisenberg were, <laughs> were, were, were quite avid birders. And, you know, he was, he was quite an environmentalist, um, cared for the Delta, uh, Mono Lake. Um, you know, the, these were issues that he cared a lot about. And then also the judiciary. He was, he was very um, interested in, in how the courts worked. Um, not a real glitzy issue. Something that don't doesn't get meant, uh, cited by the public is certainly not something people vote on. Uh, but it mattered to him. And and and, uh, and Bill Lockyer, who was his counterpart over in the Senate, uh, talked about uh, how Eisenberg uh, and and he, but really Eisenberg um, created the funding system for uh, California's trial courts, um, which is a huge deal. Nobody. Yeah, you know, it's not the sort of thing that gets a person a vote, but it's the sort of thing that 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 makes the state work a little bit better. Yeah, it's just a reminder that so many of the most important things in, in politics are the wonky details, not not the big splashy thing, which often I don't want to say is illusory, but it, you know can be often over overstated as to how important uh, some of the big splashy bills are. But the things that affect people's lives on a day to day basis are often down in the details in the wonk and that that is where guys like him really thrive because they were willing to do the work to understand it and you know that is one thing of term limits i think we all would agree on lawmakers these days often don't uh well i'm going to backtrack a little because i think the changes that were made to term limits here in california have really helped with um the problem which i was just about to say which is because uh, the way we had it set up before, I think it really encouraged lawmakers, or I should say discouraged lawmakers from, from being able to be uh, really adept at an issue, uh, the way Phil was about water or things like that. The, the, all that power seemed to go to, to the staff members of this world, which, you know, is how um, a consultant, and, and then I almost said, you know, I was going to use Kip Lipper as an example, but I know Kip's been around a lot longer than, than that even, but um, I just don't, th- you know, I think now maybe they, they can, you can, you see lawmakers are able to, to dig in a little bit on a particular issue, but it seemed like there for about a 10 or 15 year period, you know, they really didn't have that kind of ability. They were always running for the next office. So, um, that's, that's one of those aspects of term limits that I think, and I don't want to get off on term limits 
as opposed to Phil Eisenberg, but that's what we're, that's how we brought, came around to that. So that, that was something I thought I'd add there. Well, and one thing I will bring it back to his legacy of the arts. That's actually how I first got to meet Phil and Marilyn. I used to publish a magazine called Midtown Monthly, which was about arts and culture in Sacramento. And one day out of the blue, uh, I get a call from Marilyn saying how much she and Phil liked it and how much they valued it because we were covering things that other people weren't. And they were really invested in cultural stuff. They went to concerts all the time. They went to art shows all the time. Uh, they were very, very aware of that. And uh, as you mentioned, Phil had been instrumental in creating the Sacramento Metropolitan Arts Commission, which ultimately does the funding for public art. And they also supported the arts just by buying tickets to events and buying a ton of art. I don't know if you've ever been to their house, but it's ridiculous how much art they actually have, uh, you know, and probably only a fraction of it is on display and the rest of it's kind of, you know, wrapped up in storage somewhere, but they really were committed to that. And uh, so I got to know them through their interest in the arts. And then they got involved in uh, a nonprofit art center that my wife actually works at uh, called the Verge Center for the Arts. And, and Phil was on the board of directors there from the time that they started as a nonprofit until now. Uh, so he really valued that very, very, very much. And it was a singular figure in this region for support of the arts that uh, the only other people that I could think of that really even come close would be maybe Russ Solomon, who founded Tower Records, who also did a lot. And uh, and then Burnett Miller, who's also a mayor of Sacramento, who was very engaged in art stuff. But Phil and Marilyn were really very, very committed to that. And story I could tell about their approach to arts. You know, I went to the Crocker when they opened their new museum. This is about 12 years ago, I think. And the first show they had there was uh, art that had been donated or been promised to the Crocker by by people like Phil and Marilyn. There was a lot of art from uh, that had been donated by Russ Solomon, et cetera. And uh, walking around and I see a painting, a small painting titled Drive gift of Phil and Marilyn Eisenberg. And I knew that they were chuckling somewhere about having donated a, a painting with that title to be hung on display in the Crocker. And there it was, uh, you know, they, uh, they were not, they were not safe in their interest in art. And they just were, uh, you know, very, I think someone referred to him as puckish and he had a quite a sense of humor. And I, I have to admit that they had quite a chuckle over that. Hmm. It wasn't a typo. I take it. It was not a typo. I see. Okay. <laughs> oh, well. That's <laughs> somebody comfortable on their skin. <laughs> well, I, you know, again, Dan, we appreciate you doing, um, on very short notice, doing a really great job of bringing Phil uh, back in our memories a little bit and reminding us of why, you know, a lot of people liked and respected him uh, as a lawmaker and as a human being. So uh, good work on that. Really appreciate it. Uh, you know, it's a little a little send off there you know there's a lot more to write about the guy there's a lot more to know about him and um, so i'm looking forward to other people uh and their remembrances of, of phil eisenberg good guy yeah person of substance uh tim what else is going on in california politics right now what else should we should we be noodling about right now well it seems like there's a lot going on right now uh I mean, you have Gavin Newsom in China, which is uh, getting a lot of attention, if nothing else, for that photo he sent out that <laughs> people are having lots of opinions about. But 
Uh, you know, people were wondering. There, what there's this him looking pensive at the on the wall. Be very pensive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you want to look like a gap model, I guess. Um, but, uh, you know, what is that? I mean, obviously, China is a huge trading partner with California. So it does make sense to me why he would be there. But I know that a lot of particularly people on the right are not particularly thrilled about this. Uh, I don't know what you guys think about it, but I, I thought it was an interesting moment in California history. Well, I think governors like going to China. Um, uh, that it, it is it is a you know major economic force. Um, and and it is uh, you know clearly a major superpower. Um, I do wonder and look forward to finding out what what he has said, if anything, about Taiwan, which is also uh, vital to California. Um, it, it's uh, you know it's a it's a fraught time to visit China, but at the same time, uh, Newsom is pitching this as as. Um, uh, important to his one among his issues, among his big issues, uh, climate change. You can't. You're, we're not going to affect climate change unless unless uh, China uh, weans itself off fossil fuel. Um, uh, of course, they're huge, big uh, market for uh, electric vehicles, and there's a big Tesla factory there, and I, I guess Newsom paid a visit there. So it's, um, uh, but. It, you know, it has to do with climate change as far as he's concerned. Of course, it also has to do with uh, geopolitics. Right. And, and, you know, it doesn't do your claims that you're not running for president any good when you go on trips that are, you know, very easily construed as, uh, you know, pre-campaign kind of uh, uh, profile raising as if he needs a higher profile, I guess. But, um, you know, Dan... I'm curious because I, I honestly I know we've had other governors that have made similar sojourns. Do you remember anything really significant coming out of any? Because I, I think didn't didn't Pete Wilson go to China? I you know I don't recall that. I re, I know that Gray Davis wanted to go to China, but then um, I think it was nine eleven happened, <laughs> and so so plans got changed. Uh, so yeah, it's. Um, uh, you know, it's one of the places they like to go. Um, and, you know, California is a major player. It's not like um, he's going from, oh, I don't know, South Carolina. This is, uh, you know, China. China is a major player. California is a major player. Um, you know, California governors have long fancied themselves as having foreign policies. You know, he's obviously in, in alignment with, with the Biden-Harris administration. Um, uh, but you know, he's, he's, uh, you're right. He's, he, this is the sort of thing one does as one contemplates running for, uh, presidency. And then of course, you know, he, he made the trip to Israel, uh, after, after the horrible attack by Hamas, uh, uh, on, on Israel. Um, so, you know, he, this, this is, um, this is what you do, um, it's also, you know, it's it, it's it's symbolic, uh, but uh, you know, I think the trip to Israel also mattered for, uh, you know, policy reasons uh, to show solidarity with with Israel mm-hmm. against this horrible terrorist attack. Well, and you know, you you bring that up, and that actually offers a transition into another interesting thing that's going on, and this is kind of an awkward thing to talk about because uh, I don't know, it's just an ugly thing, but you could see. On the left, the Democratic Party, uh, 
is really some, somewhat divided uh, because you have a lot of people who have been very, very vocal about support for Palestinian rights. And suddenly they're being attacked for, you know, what some see as as uh, anti-Semitic rhetoric. And in some cases, I would say they're right. Uh, and it is really doing a number on, on the Democrats right now. And I think I saw a poll that Biden's poll numbers are down uh, 10 or 11 points. And they point to that the people are either unhappy from uh, the support of Israel or unhappy from the support of Palestinian. He, he, either side, they're unhappy with his decision. I think that that's something that's plaguing the Democrats. It does not seem like it's particularly plaguing the Republicans, but uh, that but is... Ukraine is, U- Ukraine is is plaguing the Republicans. Well, there's exactly. an age divide. I mean, if you look at the poll numbers, it, it, younger, younger uh, liberals, younger so-called pro- progressives... Um, uh, are are critical of Israel and and far more supportive of of, of Pal- Palestinians. Um, older uh, Democrats, older liberals uh, are are very much supportive of 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 Israel. So there there's a real age divide, um, and I don't know. Maybe it's just a, a lack of history. Maybe people don't quite understand if you're um, uh, under twenty five and going to college. Uh, you know this thing called the Holocaust, um, not that long ago, there are still people around who, you know, witnessed it. Um, so, you know, there, there's, there's a lack of, you know, maybe there's term limited and term limits in term, in terms of knowledge. Um, you know, that said, you know, there, there, there ought to be a state for the Palestinians too. So, I don't know. Yeah. you know, this is one of those issues. I think you can't really win. Um, and because the, the sides again are so divided, we we're talking about this a little a little bit earlier in regard to our own political system here. But um, it, it's a very difficult position for any politician to take. I mean, the obvious one: uh, Israel is a the state of Israel is a is a very formidable and longstanding ally of the United States. Um, that doesn't mean everyone that supports the Israeli state has to agree with how they've treated the the, Palestine, the idea of a Palestinian state. But, you know, one of the things I always say to people is like, there are people who have spent their entire lives, literally their entire working lives, trying, you know, studying every nuance of this conflict, and they they don't know answers. So, you know, you know, Joe Big Mouth sitting on the, you know, at his keyboard, pounding away at three in the morning, certainly is not the right person to listen to. I mean, when it comes to all this, I, I don't know, you know, I, I I don't know who these pollsters ask. No one has ever asked me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not that I'm, 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 you know, racking on pollsters. I'm just saying if there's anything we've learned of late is, you know, the, the it's the wind blows whatever direction. And, and this is a real hot button. When I agree with you, Dan, I think younger people are very, seem to be coming down very much in favor of, of the Palestinian cause here. I, I think you could support the Palestinian cause, though, and still see what Hamas did as horrifying, absolutely barbaric. And there is no place in the world and for I do this think part of a... I think that's the majority yeah. opinion is that, you know, most people, I, I don't, I think very few people really, at least in America, support Hamas and their position. However, it just gets you know, in politics, everything gets boiled down so much that it's like, are your forests are against us. And, and it's really, I, I'm seeing it in the, you know, the democratic socialist 
wing of the party versus the more quote unquote liberal wing of the party. It's just interesting. It's something I have. I mean, you see plenty of divides there among among those groups. But that's this is one that it's really interesting to see people that are normally allied on almost everything suddenly come out on on very disparate sides. It's just a unique, unique thing. And I think it's probably going to get more divided before it gets sorted out. That's what would be my well, and, and it's indicative of how how wide the spread is in the Democratic Party. We've certainly seen it in the Republican Party where where you know you have this very, very hard right super conservative side, which we've seen the chaos that's created in the last few months. Um, there used to be a much larger portion of the, those that were the more um, center right, what we call the old school traditional Republicans. I don't know how many of them there really are anymore, but we've seen that infighting and what it does. Well, th there's those same divides in the Democratic Party too, between the very progressive side of it and the, the mods here in California. We've talked a lot about how how powerful the centrist Democrats are here in Cal in our own legislature. Um, so, I mean, that's a, that's a kind of a standard thing, but it does often boil down to you're with us or against us. And that rarely makes for good policy and, and good procedure when it comes to trying to solve, you know, these very complex issues. So, but you know, no, none of that can possibly take precedent over the worst week, worst week, worst week, our worst week, who had the worst week in California politics candidate. Tim, I'm going to let you lead this one off because I think you enjoy talking about this one a lot. Well, all right. So <laughs> I will say that this is an issue that I, I watched from afar as this bill made its way through the legislature. And the bill I'm talking about was the legalization of psychedelic drugs, which I thought was an interesting you know, approach. Uh, Senator Weiner, uh introduced this and made its way handily through the legislature, went to the governor's desk and the governor vetoed it saying, hey, maybe it's not a great idea to just willy-nilly, you know, let these out into the world without more study, which seems like a fairly reasonable approach. And certainly the Republicans uh, were not usually that happy to uh, to give Governor Newsom approval, liked his actions on that. And so when I saw the news the other day that a, an Alaska Airlines pilot on his off time uh, who was catching a ride in the cockpit, tried to down the plane and was uh, held back by the other crew members and then ultimately uh, told people later that he had been on magic mushrooms at the time. Uh, my first thought was, well, that's the end of that bill. You know, Wiener had pledged to bring it back. And I thought, well, you may bring it back, but I don't think that's going anywhere because I don't think anybody wants that uh, uh, wants that on their, their neck. And I don't know that there's a really a magic mushroom constituency just going to be marching uh, for their rights. I, I just don't see that. Maybe I'm wrong, but I would think that that bill is basically DOA, at least for the moment. I, you know, I think that's, that, that's a great point, Tim. You know, the, the pilot, uh, the, the off-duty pilot, as he's been, as he's walking, being walked back to the uh, back of the plane says, you need to handcuff me. I'm having a bad day. Um, you know, clearly, clearly uh, having a bad day. And then he tried to open the emergency exit, evidently. Um, so, yeah, you know, Scott Weiner, uh, God bless him, carried the bill last year, carried it again this year, vows to carry it next year. Um, I don't see I don't see it happening. I don't see I don't see a governor 
who goes off to China and Israel positioning himself for a national race on down the road, uh, signing a bill that legalizes psychedelics, especially given, you know, of course, magic mushrooms is not fentanyl at all. But, but you know, California is having a pretty, uh, is in the midst of a, of a horrible uh, overdose crisis. Yeah, it's not, it's not hard to make the argument that there's already plenty yeah. of unregulated drugs on the street and adding right. more. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the biggest thing right there. I mean, the and I'm with you, Dan, you know, fentanyl and mushrooms are very different, but I think the public is losing its its taste for some of this. I think I think a lot of us I think it's funny, you know, thinking about about the legalization of marijuana, you know, I was in Las Vegas recently and it really was um, kind of shocking to me how many dispensaries there are in Vegas and how everywhere you go smells like pot. It, I, I, I'm not, I don't really know exactly what the laws are in Vegas, but it's very obvious you can smoke weed a lot of places because <laughs> it is, it is really prevalent. And I've, I've noticed the same thing in times I've been in Portland and I've been in you know, uh, Seattle and, and you, and you know, I, I don't know. <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm as freewheeling as anybody, but that is one of those things I, I think, wow, I don't know. I, I don't know about this. This seems like something that um, maybe we got, should rethink. Now you're, you want to yeah. add mushrooms to it? I, that's what I need to have somebody somewhere near me, you know, tripping on on a psychedelic. Great. You know, I, and, and I don't know the details of Scott's law. He, if he's listening, he's probably saying, that's not what my law would do. And like, okay, you're probably right. It doesn't matter to me. People do what they're going to do with it. And uh, I just think maybe that would be a bad idea, but <laughs> or it's probably mm -hmm. unlikely that anyone in the legislature or the governor is going to think it's a good idea. Well, I, I, I think Senator Weiner may well, um, you know, and Newsom also vetoed that bill that uh, by uh, by Haney, Assemblyman Haney, also of San Francisco, that would have allowed for um, uh, cannabis cafes basically go in and, and, and you can smoke weed, um, smoke is the operative word there. Um, you know, California uh, 30 years ago bans cigarette smoking and bars and restaurants. And so this would have been a reversal of, of that policy, pretty dramatic review for reversal. And, and I know people say, well, you know, marijuana smoke's not, not tobacco smoke, but smoke is smoke and it's a carcinogen and, and uh, California recognizes it as, as, as such. And um, so, you know, maybe, uh, Newsom, who was a you know quite the champion of of legalizing uh, weed, um, is um, tempering that position somewhat these days. Yeah, I would think so. And I'll just have to. No one will ask my opinion, but I would say when you go into a casino to get a drink or whatever, and it's just overwhelming you with cigarette smoke, it reminds you of how good it is to not have that in grocery stores and restaurants and on sidewalks. And I'm sorry out there if you're listening to us and you're a smoker and you're offended. Too bad. Deal with it. I love not having to deal with cigarette smoke in public places. I think it's it's awesome. I'm old enough to remember when people smoked on airplanes. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. what a nightmare. It was you're trapped in there. Like smoking yeah. section on an airplane. Think about that. It's a tube. There was no smoking <laughs> section. You know. Oh. Yeah. 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 I don't, that's one good old days uh, vibe that can just stay buried. <laughs> you know, and before we go, I do want to mention to our listeners that we are hosting a conference uh, on Tuesday, November 7th 
on education policy. No charge to attend. You can either go in person or you can uh, watch everything on Zoom and participate that way. Go to the Capital Weekly website and capitalweekly.net slash events, and you'll find all the details. That's going to be on Tuesday, November 7th, starts at 9.30, goes through 2 p.m., and uh, Superintendent of Public Instruction, Tony Thurman, will be our keynoter. And uh, if you have any interest in education policy, I think it's going to be an interesting day. Again, no charge, but you do have to register uh, so that we know you're coming and we can order you lunch. Absolutely. I'm, I've Thanks, Tim. I wouldn't miss it if I were you. If you're interested in education, this is a good, good opportunity to uh, hear from some really smart folks on a lot of things. And we're, one of those panels are going to be talking about pending ballot measures and possible legislation. So don't miss it. And, and, and did I hear you correctly, Tim, that it's free lunch? It is well. I mean, if you go in person, if you're on Zoom, the lunch is oh, on you. But uh, yeah, okay. free, uh, a free lunch, free lunch for those who attend in person. Yeah, sorry, Dan, we will not be sending an Uber to your house with a box. <laughs> of- <laughs> All right. Well, fine. <laughs> yeah, Dan. Thanks for again for the story, and thanks for joining us today to uh, to talk about Phil Eisenberg and what's going on in California politics. Really appreciate it. Happy to do it anytime. All right. See you next time. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California.